The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Matthew chapter 18, we'll begin our reading of verse number 21. The Bible says, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but unto seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of the servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, and he delivered, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts Forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. Today we're talking about forgiveness in the home. I've given it this subtitle. Forgiveness worth receiving is forgiveness worth sharing. Forgiveness worth receiving is forgiveness worth sharing. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be in your house today. I ask that you'd be with us now as your word is preached. May you... Help me to say exactly what you once said and hold back what you do not once said. May we get this point across today, apply it to our lives so that we would be more like your son Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Simon Wiesenthal was a Jewish prisoner in Mauthausen concentration camp. One day he was assigned to clean out garbage from a barn in the middle of the concentration camp that had been converted into a hospital that was used to give medical treatment to SS German soldiers. One evening while he was cleaning out the trash, a nurse stopped him and took him by the hand she then led him to a bed where, he was, where there was lying a young SS soldier. Story goes that the soldier was 21 years of age. The biographer says his face was bandaged with pus-soaked rags, 
His eyes tucked somewhere behind the gauze, he grabbed Wiesenthal's hand and clutched it. He said he had to talk to a Jew. He couldn't die until he confessed his sins that he committed against helpless Jews. He had to be forgiven by a Jew before he died. So he told Wiesenthal his sad tale, how he belonged to a battalion that gunned down many Jews, men, women, and children alike. On one occasion, a number of them trying to escape from a house that they had set on fire. When they ran for their lives, they were mowed down. Wiesenthal listened to the dying man's story. First, the story of his innocent youth, and then the story of his participation in evil and the massacre of countless Jews. After the story, Wiesenthal jerked his hand out of the dying SS soldier's hand, the biographer says. He walked out of the barn. No words were spoken. No forgiveness was given. Wiesenthal would not forgive and could not forgive. He has written his own story in a book called The Sunflower. The book ends with this question, what would you have done? What would you have done? Thirty-two people, mostly Jews, answered Wiesenthal's question. Most said that Wiesenthal was right. He should not have forgiven the SS soldier. It would have uh, been unfair. Why should a man who gave his, his whole life to uh, destroy an entire group of people receive forgiveness on his deathbed? What right did Wiesenthal have to forgive a man for evil that he had done to so many other Jews? And if Wiesenthal had forgiven the soldier, it would have it would be saying the Holocaust was not so evil. One respondent said, let the SS soldier go to hell. That is a far cry from Matthew chapter 18. But many people, including believers, come to that point in their life. They feel that way about someone else. When we're hurt, when we're mistreated, the person is obviously in the wrong for what they did. But unforgiveness is an issue that has been destroying families and churches for centuries. We've all heard the stories. We could probably give stories of people we've seen that have families that have been destroyed, churches that have lost people to the world because of unforgiveness. There has been wrong against another person or persons, and now the relationship between those two parties is riven. It is hindered. It is broken. And the pain and the hurt that the offender caused in the mind of the offended is unforgivable. Peter approaches Christ with a question. His question is this, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother if he has wronged me? How often should I forgive him? Should it be seven times? Seven? Is seven a good number? Now, Peter was probably expecting God to say, well, good thinking, Peter, because in their Jewish custom, three was the max, and then you could cut ties with the person. 
The Pharisees had implemented this into their culture. After three offenses, you could cut ties with your brother. So Peter must have been thinking, well, Christ is going to respond good with this gracious number that I've given, which is four times more than what we've been taught. But notice Jesus' response. Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Imagine these disciples hearing this for the first time due to what they've been taught throughout their culture. Three was all you had to offer so far, according to custom. They're probably doing the math, and you carry the two. 490. How are we going to keep track of 490? Will you keep a tally, get our stones out and chisel every time someone offends us? Jesus is trying to get us to see the contrast between Peter's idea of forgiveness and Jesus' idea of forgiveness. He says 70 times 7. In other words, Peter, you're thinking too small. See, God expects us not just to forgive, but to forgive greatly. He expects us not just to forgive, but to forgive greatly. Well, they've done it again. It's a perpetual thing with them. They're never going to learn. How will they learn if I, if I forgive them? How will they learn if you don't? We are called to be Christ-like in all aspects of life, in all of our actions, and everything we do and say. Our actions are to point people to Christ, including the subject of forgiveness. We've heard people say, and maybe even said it ourselves, I'm done with them. I've had it up to here. I'm cutting them off. I've cut my ties with them. They've gone too far. They haven't learned. They've crossed a line. And we harbor resentment in our hearts against them. Well, you don't know my story. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know the pain that they've caused. You don't know, you can't see the wedge that they put between us and our family. If it wasn't for them, fill in the blank. There very well could be anger and strife in our hearts instead of forgiveness. And who would blame you, right? You've probably got people on your side. I've told others about this. I've told them my story, and they've agreed with me. It was horrible. Why would I forgive that person? You're right to cut ties. You owe them nothing. And anger and bitterness, it grows. Resentment builds its home in your heart. And all we hope for when we see that person or when they come to mind is harm. And if they get ill or if they face some devastating trial, we find pleasure in their sufferings. So Jesus answers Peter, but then he goes on to tell a story, a parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So he talks about a king which would take an account of his servants, which is not an uncommon thing to do. <clears throat> but he would take account of his servants. So he called on all of his servants to come pay their debts. It's time to pay what you owe. 
So as they go through the line, one man approached the king who owed 10,000 talents. For a slave, that is a lot of money. For me, that is a lot of money. If we were to translate that into te- in today's world, 10,000 talents, I saw a couple of different numbers, so I put it in the middle. 10,000 talents would be about $3 billion. Now, there's a good chance that no one in here is in debt up to $3 billion. If so, I'll pray for you. But imagine with me for a moment that you have this unpayable, impossible debt that is being held against you. You are required at that moment to pay 10,000 talents or $3 billion, which would be about, in their culture and what they got paid as slaves, you're looking at about 200,000 years of income. So he's about to be sold along with his family until he can pay the debt in full. Now, the average person, maybe everyone in here, you would not have enough days on earth to pay this debt. It wouldn't happen. You'd be enslaved indefinitely. So the servant begins to plea, falls to his knees, begging for more time. Be patient with me, and I will pay you. So a miraculous thing happens. The king is moved with compassion. So the king is moved with compassion, and it says the king loosed him and forgave him the debt. He completely eradicated it, forgiving the man of this massive, impossible debt. He had no way of paying it, because it was due right then and there. Now what person in their right mind would let a debt go of that magnitude. It would be a compassionate king, a compassionate individual. As Jesus Christ went to the, to the cross, he had a goal. His goal was to pay the debt for a society, for a world that could not pay it themselves. Those that were bound by sin would have the opportunity to be free. Those that were bound by sin would be bound no longer. This truth applies to everyone, to all generations. It is a perpetual promise. It does not stop. It is continual. From the time it was given till now, in the future generations, forgiveness is offered. Because the forgiveness of Christ is not exclusive, but all-inclusive. God's forgiveness, Christ's forgiveness, is not exclusive to some people and not to others. That would be Calvinism, which is completely uh, false doctrine, and it is heresy. It is not given to one group of people and not the other. It was not given to the Jews and not the Greeks. We see Paul write about that time and time again as he approaches the church at Rome and the other churches throughout the New Testament. As the Jews were saying, we, uh, you have to keep our traditions in order to be saved. The Jews told the Greeks this on more than one occasion, and Paul had to come in and say, no, salvation is the same for you as it is for them. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 3, Paul writes, he says, you're a blessed people, you have a heritage, your your forefathers, they wrote the oracles of God, prophets penned the words of God. It's a blessed heritage, but salvation is the same for all. 
One group of people does not have to work for it while the other does not. It is all-inclusive. As he stretched forth his hands on the cross, he cried, It is finished. He did not say it is finished for some. He did not say it is finished until you sin again. He did not say it is finished until you are too far gone. He did not say it is finished until you make too many mistakes. And then I build a wall between us and cut my ties with you. He said, it is finished. And the work that he did that day paid the way for all people to come to him and have their debt erased. He didn't do all of that so he could hold a grudge and hold those trespasses against you. The work of Christ did on the cross loosed the impossible debt. It tore down the wall that sin had built. It eradicated the barrier that kept us from God, that separated us from God. It fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament that a Savior would come and would bring harmony between us and the Father and would bring reconciliation. And we can experience forgiveness today because of the cross. But the same servant that received such an extraordinary pardon did not leave rejoicing. Matter of fact, he approached one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred pence immediately after. If we were to translate that hundred pence into um, our world today, that would be somewhere between eleven and twelve thousand dollars. That's a pretty far cry from three billion. We have the servant, and he grabs his fellow servant by the throat in verse number 28. He says, pay me what you owe. Give me what's mine. You owe it to me. You are indebted to me. And he's holding this this debt over his fellow servant. It is up to you to make this right. I am holding your debt against you. In other words, unforgiven. The fellow servant falls to his knees, begging for patience, begging for more time. Give me more time and I'll pay you what I owe. So what does the first servant do? He takes the fellow servant and he throws him into prison until he could pay his debt. Now there is a tremendous contrast here, and that's what Jesus wants us to see. There is a tremendous contrast here with the debts, but it's not just the amount of the debt. It's not just the numbers in the debt. It's the response of the two people that owed the debt. It's the response, it's the result of the debt. One pardon from an impossible debt. The other thrown in prison for something that could have been taken care of in a matter of months. Someone who was offered forgiveness but was unwilling to offer it to someone else and demanded they pay. They need to pay for what they've done to me. They need to pay for what they did to our family. Something has to be done about it. With this attitude and with this mindset, all it's gonna cause is your own suffering and your own pain. To help illustrate this, Justin has agreed to help me today. Justin has been hurt. Justin has been wrong. Someone genuinely offended him 
Someone has genuinely offended him, and now he's going to put this on. Unforgiveness. He's going to wear this around, and at first it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Go ahead and come over here to the edge. Turn around. He's going to carry around unforgiveness and everything that comes with it. He has an unforgiving spirit. Not really, this is for the illustration. He has an unforgiving spirit. He is hurt. He's been wronged, and he's rightfully upset about it, but he's not forgiving them. Now, with unforgiveness, you get unforgiveness baggage. This is a 25-pound standard iron plate, and it is labeled anger. Justin is angry. Put this in your bag here. Should have got a bigger backpack. All right, there you go. All right. Justin's angry. Every time he sees that person, all he feels is hostility. Every time that person comes to mind, all he has is ill will towards them. Feelings of anger, hostility, emotions that are not representing Christ but are there and come along with unforgiveness. He's angry. But soon after anger comes anger's companion. I really hope this backpack holds. <laughs> Bitterness. So now uh, Justin is bitter. If other people only knew what I knew, if other people only see what I see, when I, when I see that person, if they only see what I see, if they only felt what I felt, if they only could experience what I've experienced, if they could only go through what I have gone through, then they'd understand. And there's bitterness. After bitterness comes bitterness's companion. Resentment. Who do they think they are? Who does that person think they are? Everyone in the church, everyone in our family is... Okay. Everyone is acting like nothing's happened. Every time they see that person, there's just anger, there's bitterness, there's hostility. If people only knew what I knew, if they saw what I saw. And there's this resentment towards them. And they just have these thoughts of... Terrible, terrible things they would like to see happen to that person to pay for what they did. And there's resentment. And after resentment comes our other friend. How you doing? Oh, good? Okay. <laughs> he would not tell you if he wasn't. Comes hatred. I would never not hatred. But it's a sin to hate people. I would never say I hate that person. You don't have to say it. You don't have to think it. You don't have to think the word hate in order to hate. Hate happens in our hearts. Even a Christian can experience hatred. I really hope they get what what's coming to them. I hope they get what they deserve. Don't move. <laughs> I'm not even gonna, I was going to try and zip it up, but I'm not even going to. Every time you think, see that person, every time you think about them, every time their name is brought up, these emotions, they come into play. They make me so angry. Bitterness builds its home in your heart. You feel resentment towards them. 
People only knew what I knew. They only know what they did. And then hatred. We wouldn't say the word, but we can feel it. <clears throat> Pastor asked me to preach today, and you good? Okay. <laughs> Pastor asked me to preach today, and he said, if the Lord leads, to share some of my story of what I went through. 2009, my mom was diagnosed with colon cancer. And you hear that word, and you automatically go into these feelings. It's not going to be that bad. Modern medicine and technology, it's going to be fine. God. Chemo that people can go through, it's colon cancer. People have been cured by, from colon cancer. It's been killed, and people have moved on. 2009, she was diagnosed. 2011, October, I walked into our family room, and it was facing the sun. That's why mom liked to read her Bible in there. But it was facing the sunrise, and I walked in at 7 a.m., getting ready to leave for work, and mom was there reading her Bible like she always did. And that October, mom looked at me, and she said, my cancer's gone terminal means there's no cure. There's no way that I can survive this. They put an expiration date of 6 to 18 months. 6 to 18 months. And she sat there in her chair and she told me, if one of our family members, one of our friends comes to Christ or gets back in church because of this, It'll all be worth it. No resentment, no anger, no bitterness, just accepting God's will. Things happened in our lives throughout that period of time, and I thought we were going to be okay. But that Christmas day of 2011, two months later, she passed away. She went home to be with the Lord. It's kind of neat. My grandma was there. And she said... Judy got to go home and wish Jesus a happy birthday on his birthday. And I knew we were going to be okay. I knew that things were going to be fine. Somehow we would get through it like everyone else does that loses a loved one. February, two months later, my father, <clears throat> he starts a relationship with a woman that he met online and it wasn't the relationship that was the problem. It was how he went about the relationship. In May, we all got a text from my dad from Missouri saying that, so there's no surprises, I'm getting married tomorrow. And there was a lot of lies and deception that went into this, this relationship. And I'm not going to get into the whole story because I don't think it'd be fair, but... through verbal communication as well as physical, he made it clear that he has a new family now. And me, my sisters, felt abandoned. We were angry. I was bitter. Felt resentment and maybe even hatred. Now, there was a time in my life where I'd never been more angry, never been more bitter. There was a time in my life where I never felt more resentment 
There was a time in my life where I didn't, I actually thought it was not going to be okay. And this was on my back. An unforgiving spirit. <clears throat> Anger. Bitterness. Resentment. And even hatred. Carried this around for more than one year. And it was weighing me down, keeping me from being what God wanted me to be. God was up there saying, come on. And this was slowing me down, keeping me back here. Justin. Would you like this? Is it about that time? Yeah. Okay. Now, what God was not going to do, he was not going to shove this in my face and rip this off my back. Everyone has a choice to make. This is a choice. To get this, you have to make this choice. This comes before this. This comes following this. So as we come to Christ... And we say, God, I'm done with the anger. I'm done with the resentment. I'm done with the bitterness. I'm done with the hatred. He takes it from us. Because when that goes, this happens. That doesn't happen until this happens. This doesn't happen until that goes. They're one and the same. Two sides of a coin. And then with this, we can finally... Experience this. A believer that has experienced the forgiveness of Christ will find the compassion to forgive others. A believer that has experienced God's forgiveness and a believer that has experienced the forgiveness of Christ will find it in their hearts to forgive another person. You don't know what they did to me. I don't, I don't know your story, but God does. And God had you in mind when he penned these words. And he said, forgive one another. Now, we have this servant with his $3 billion of debt, and we have this person with their eleven dollars to $12,000 in debt. The debt is there, it's real. That is an actual debt. The smaller debt is a thing. It exists. It is against that servant. But in light of what he has been forgiven from, it ought to compel him to forgive his brother for the wrong against him. Thanks, Justin. You can have a seat. Read verse number 34 and 35 with me. Let's go back up to 32. Had we found this out, and then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredest me. Should not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? His Lord was wroth, and delivered him into the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, 
you have your hearts, forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. What is God saying here? Is he saying that those who are saved will lose salvation if they refuse to forgive others? Given what we know about scripture, I think we can rule that option out. The key word here is in your hearts. In the beginning of our story, we had a servant with an unpayable debt. But the king, being filled with compassion, loosed the debt and forgave. You would think that receiving such grace, receiving such compassion and forgiveness would instill an overwhelming amount of gratitude in his heart. But that's not what we see. In verse 28, immediately after the king extends forgiveness, he finds his fellow servant that owes him money and demands payment. Takes him by the throat and says, pay me everything you owe. And when he can't pay, he throws him in prison. How could someone who was just given such great forgiveness not extend it to someone else? Well, the man who was given forgiveness never experienced forgiveness in his heart. He refused to allow it to change his life. When we experience forgiveness, we experience it in our hearts. And this man missed it by 18 inches. It was here, but it wasn't here. This is the evidence of salvation, that we are willing to extend that forgiveness to others. And what makes forgiving someone possible is recognizing that you yourself have been forgiven. The first servant gave from his heart what he had in his heart. Think about that. Peter was willing to forgive seven times. This servant wouldn't even extend forgiveness once. There's a reason Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The person in this parable, this first servant, he refused share forgiveness. The reason why he refused to share forgiveness is because it wasn't there to begin with. It's not inside of his heart. He's willing to share his anger. He's willing to share his condemnation. He's willing to share judgment. Well, we want justice, don't we? We want this person to pay for what they've done. But that's because he hasn't experienced it in his heart. And he can only share what's really there. There is no justification for a believer to hold back forgiveness. Jesus is telling the story to instill the need to forgive, the need for forgiveness among believers, among your family, those that have hurt you, those that have wronged you. If you have experienced God's grace and his forgiveness, then it should be made available to others. The servant, he never really understood the depth of his sin. He wasn't convinced of his own sin. He was sorry he got caught. Oftentimes, children hit each other. That's what you do as a kid. You hit other children or you bite them. 
As a child, it's in the contract at birth. You have to hit invite other children. That's what they do. <clears throat> now, you tell them, you say, you tell little Susie you're sorry, and they give you the look. See, we can make that look, too. They give you this look. No. You tell them you're sorry. You give them a whipping, or you take their toys away, or you put them in a corner, or you make them sit there for weeks on end until they say they're sorry. When they get tired of doing what, they're, what you told them to do as discipline, they finally go up to the person and they say, with the same look, it doesn't change, sorry. In their heart, what are they saying? No. Because five minutes later, they go back and they hit Susie again. They weren't sorry, they were just caught. There could be people in our churches today who refuse to forgive because they really haven't experienced true forgiveness. They haven't experienced forgiveness in their hearts, and they don't know what it's like to be forgiven. Well, I know I'm saved. I could take you to the place, I could tell you about it, I could give it to you word for word, I could tell you that I have been saved, I've been forgiven then forgive. Well, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. You can't just forgive people. Have you experienced the forgiveness of Christ? Then forgive. Christ enables you to forgive. Paul tells us that the Spirit dwells within us. He helps us and guides us. God knows that we cannot hold on to pride and humility at the same time. He also knows that we cannot hold on to forgiveness and unforgiveness at the same time. You cannot be right and wrong. You can only be right or wrong. And if you're holding on to both, you're wrong. So, does the believer forfeit salvation when they refuse to forgive? That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is not this king that gives forgiveness and then withdraws it. The point of the passage is that when you experience the forgiveness of God, that same compassion that was given to you will transfer through you to somebody else that is in need of it. Maybe someone in here today has asked the question, like Peter's, how much should I forgive? How often should I forgive? I have this tally of things that they've done. Is it 490? No. What Jesus is saying, Peter, this is your idea of forgiveness. This is mine. They're miles apart. Well, they don't deserve it. They need to earn my forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. What Jesus is talking about here can't be earned, and it's never deserved. Maybe you're in here today, and you need to take inventory and ask yourself the question, am I holding a grudge? Am I holding forgiveness from anyone? And if so, what is stopping me from forgiving them? What is stopping me from forgiving them? 
Well, what if that person is dead? How do I forgive them then? What if that person won't admit that they were wrong? What if they are convinced that they are right? What if they're convinced that they have nothing to be forgiven for? Well, in verse 35, Jesus talks about forgiveness from the heart. See, forgiveness is not reconciliation. But reconciliation cannot happen without forgiveness. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. But reconciliation cannot happen without forgiveness. It takes one person to forgive. It takes two to reconcile. Forgiveness is opening the door for reconciliation. Jesus has opened the door to all people for salvation. And when they get saved and they mess up, he doesn't walk over here and pick this up. Because next thing you know, life just starts crashing down on you. The thing that didn't happen was on your back. <laughs> Jesus doesn't do that. Forgiveness is opening the door for reconciliation. Jesus has opened the door to all people, but not all have stepped through that door. Is Jesus wrong because there are those that, who will not admit they need forgiveness? The answer is no. So here's what Jesus is asking us to do. Leave the door open. Don't hold a grudge. Offer the forgiveness that Christ has offered you. Be a conduit of forgiveness that Jesus would go through you and out to others. And in this text, it's forgiveness. Because it's forgiveness worth receiving. It's forgiveness worth sharing. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we thank you. You are a gracious, loving, heavenly Father. We can call you by name, Abba Father, and you hear us. You hear us when we need forgiveness. You don't shun us or deny us forgiveness, but you offer it freely. As the thief on the cross was by your side, Turn to the one that was mocking. This man has done nothing wrong. We deserve to be here. Remember me when you go into paradise. And Jesus looked at the man and said, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Not withholding forgiveness moments away from death after doing a lifetime of wrong. Offenses against people are great, Father. But our offense against you was greater. Help us to realize how much we've been forgiven so that we would turn around and forgive others with a grateful heart from the forgiveness that we've received. Help us to grasp what you've been trying to teach us from Romans 8, or Matthew 18, that we would be a conduit of forgiveness, receiving forgiveness and giving forgiveness. Father, there's people in here that have been hurt, maybe watching by live stream, Someone has been offended in the very definition of the word victimized. Father, you know the situation, and we do not. Father, would you help people in need in times of hurt 
realize that they themselves don't deserve your forgiveness, but you give it. Help us to walk away today realizing that you have forgiven us from so much. Help us to remember that forgiveness as we go and forgive others. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.